to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. Before we start, this podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app. Hi. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael Watson. Thank you for having me back. I know I've done a lot of hard work and uh, to be welcomed back into the fold. Yeah, you, you've you've had some redemption. Redemption. And um, we've put some things aside to, to bring you this podcast today. And wouldn't you know, this uh, episode is uh, a film of my choice. Um, before we get into it, though, what's been? What are, what are we watching? What's what's going on? What's going on? We are watching so only murders in the building. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It's good. Yeah, Check I it enjoy out. it. I enjoy it. Um, also, sex education. Yeah, which is fine. It's fine. It's, it's all right. Eh. It's it's you know not as good as its earlier seasons, but that's okay. Yeah. Who cares? You know, we just need to pass the hours. You uh, know, we just need to fill in our waking hours before we go to sleep. With Netflix. Yeah. I also finished the Billy Milligan, the 27 Faces of Billy Milligan or whatever. Mm, tell me about Bill Mill. B- Bill Mill. Well, it's very interesting that it came out just as Maz and I did the Sybil episode because mm. um, Dr. Wilbur, who treated Sybil, also treated Billy Milligan. Get lost. Yeah. She was a bit of a she? Yes. Was a bit of a DID expert. Yeah, well... Uh, MPD, it was called then, multi-personality <laughs> to sort of get it Despicable. right, Michael. Um, yeah, she was riding off that celebrity high. But um, it's an interesting documentary and poses questions without suggesting. There's, there's, I feel like there's two sides portrayed in the doco. What do you think about doctors and health professionals who court celebrity? I always wonder if they're in a, in becoming a doctor for the right reasons. If they're they on do. the Bachelor for the right reasons. <laughs> if it's just for their social media profile or is it genuinely that they want to help people? I don't know. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> I could talk about that for ages and I think we will do an episode on DIG uh, a little bit more and then never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you're, we'll you're write done, off this Netflix, um, uh, what's the word, trend. Then I don't want to do it ever again, yeah. Uh, so just want to mention I'm watching Work in Progress, season two. I don't even know how long it's been out for because I was just on stand the other day and saw that it was there. And I couldn't watch much more of it because I started getting really anxious because the main character in it has pretty severe OCD and anxiety from when she was a little kid. Um, and there's just some scenes in there that I very much relate to. Mm. Um, and, I it was a bit triggering, so <laughs> a little bit of a trigger warning, but it's a really good show and I will eventually finish it. Yeah. Mm. Good for you. Thanks. Exercise those demons. Y- yeah. By watching the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, need to just announce officially on the podcast, our special bonus episode for mental health national mental health awareness month which is this month in october mm. um we're going to do a little special episode for patriot patrons aren't we yeah patrons only so if you want to catch that exclusive content <laughs> smash that patron button smash Send that us button your bucks 
And where's the money going to go? The money for October and November is going to SANE Australia. Why SANE? Because um, I wanted to raise some money for mental health or mental illness, but Beyond Blue and Headspace are often like the number one sort of fundraisers and organisations that that get a lot of airtime and they're great. But um, SANE is one of the only ones that kind of deals with complex mental health issues, not not the ones that we all kind – more people get, so your um, more severe mental illness. Mm. Um, and I think they deserve – They deserve the sacks of money that are going to be coming in. From us, from yeah. So far, $20 um, from me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, subscribe. But this one – I will be using the suggestions from you, audience, of what your favourite movie about mental illness is. So make sure you let us know so that we can potentially talk about the movie in question. And don't worry, if you're hoping we do a full episode on one of those movies, we probably will. Because if it's so good, we'll probably do a full episode. But this will be a fun kind of summary episode. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I watched a movie, a classic Australian movie, beloved by many. I watched it and I didn't like it. And I <laughs> the thought. <end. laughs> so, what is the movie you're doing today? <laughs> I, uh, I thought I should do it justice, rewatch it as a 30 year old man with some more experience under my belt. And I rewatched it and I thought. This movie's got some mental illness shit in it. <laughs> not not just mental illness though. And right? disability shit in it. Mm-hmm. And the movie was Mad Max. Mad Max. And I thought that it was gonna be like a bit funny, like, oh, we're doing this tacky, like, you 80s. know, late seventies oh, yeah, schlock 70s. exploitation film. And anyway, for unrelated reasons I went ahead and watched the other three too. And I was like, fuck. But did we watch Fury Road together? We did, yeah. yeah, yeah. I watched I watched two and three by myself. Great time. And <laughs> <laughs> we watched Fury Road together. Yeah. Which I did see at the cinema. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we both did. We saw oh, it yeah, together. We saw it together. Nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, when we could go to the movies. Um, anyway, I thought it would be a bit of a laugh, but it turns out that there were literal textbooks written about depiction of trauma and disability in the Mad Max cineverse. That's pretty... Incredible. And I guess it does make sense because it was such a huge film. Mm. Like I remember hearing about it when I was like early primary school. But then like I'd only seen Fury Road before you suggested it and Fury Road is just like really good. (laughs) It's like a perfect action film. very good. Mm. And I don't like action films but I really Mm. enjoyed it. Mm. Um it's like every scene has a bit of disability or mental illness in it. It's pretty jam-packed and it's not what you think of necessarily when you think of those themes in movies. Mm. But there it is. That's what we're going to be talking about. So tune out now if you're not interested, but I bet you are. Well, can I just talk a little bit about who created it and all of that stuff? Yeah, tell us about Dr. Miller. Dr. Miller was a doctor (laughs) and that's why you love him. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so he also did Happy Feet. Great film. And Lorenzo's Oil. Have you seen that? I actually haven't. Um, I watched it when I was really young and it made me cry a oh, lot. Oh, no. Um, we should probably do it. It caused all your it mental ca- illness. Yeah, it was Lorenzo's Oil. 
Um, he also did Babe, Pig in the City. Wow. And I think I, he co-wrote he, the first he Babe. He wrote Babe, yeah, which, yeah, is another tour de force piece a, of Australian cinema. It's got an interesting uh, resume. Mm, yeah. He's also an interesting-looking dude. He actually, have you looked? Go on. He looks like a, a, a lofty man. Yeah, he's got these full like of, full of sparkling eyes, little circle glasses with chains, and he's got like you know the toe cutter from the villain from yeah. the first one. He's got like reverse toe cutter hair where it's all white with a black streak. He's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I reckon like he's probably a cool guy. He'd be like your really cool uncle. He's also a bit of a wanker. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's probably a cunt. You're that uncle, Michael. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So apparently. He was supposed to direct Contact in 1997, mm. which is very funny to me because of Katya, because that's her favourite <laughs> movie, <laughs> the, the drag queen, Katya. And they didn't want him to do it for whatever reason, so Warner Brothers gave him the rights to Mad Max 2 and Mad Max 3 to get him to step aside so Robert Zemeckis could do Contact. Mm. And that's why we have a canon. So good on him. <laughs> also, his wife is the editor of his films. He loved her. <laughs> That's what I wrote. He loved her. Also, Mad Max 1 was directed in Victoria in lots and lots of spots that, yeah. that we've walked past. <laughs> I think the second two are around Broken Hill in New South Wales. In New Wales. South Wales, yeah. Fuck yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, that, uh, the, um, the like car park of the Halls of Justice. Mm-hmm. Is Parkville. Is, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the uni, uni I go to. I yeah, was I've like, been that's in that very car park. Definitely the Uni of Melbourne. Wow. They also shot an episode of MasterChef there. I bet it was one of the ones with the, um, like, the markets. Yeah, it was like a night market or something. Oh, shit. my God. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> shall I um, shall I tell the people about the plot? Please summarise all four movies yeah. in one minute. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so the four Mad Max films tell the story of Mac Rockatansky, played by Mel Gibson in the first three, and Tom Hardy in the fourth one. Who's the best actor out of both of them? I actually find both of them pretty shit. Okay. Um, Mel Gibson is the worst in the first one, but he's like he does a serviceable hero in two and three. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Hardy, to me, is His probably name. the weakest link of Fury Road. He has the least to say. Yeah, I just found the way he played it a bit weird. So Max is a leather-clad nomad eking out a living in the post-apocalyptic deserts of Australia. We're never given a definitive reason for the apocalypse, but it seems that nuclear conflict over oil and water, quote, killed the world and poisoned the survivors. The original film, Mad Max, is the story of Max becoming mad. He's a highway cop pursuing a vicious motorcycle gang around the outskirts of a decaying Melbourne. In the course of this pursuit, Max is shot in the leg and he witnesses the gang ruthlessly killing his wife and son, leading him to wreak terrible vengeance on them. Uh, For the remaining films, the signs of his psychological and physical trauma are clear as he wears a scrap metal leg brace, suffers vivid flashbacks, and assiduously avoids connections with others. You like that word, assiduous? The following three movies take place further into the apocalypse in a desert world populated mostly by folks with various illnesses and disabilities, resulting from pollution, radiation and violence. Many of the surviving humans have cobbled together makeshift devices from scrap metal to compensate for missing limbs and chronic illnesses. 
Kind of like how Casino is pretty much just Goodfellas. The second, third and fourth films are variations on a theme of Max blowing into a settlement with some sort of resource like oil or water, reluctantly helping the good guys with a scheme invariably ending with a free-for-all car chase, then moving on to the next adventure alone. Most importantly for us is the role that disability and mental illness plays in the films. Uh, Nearly every character, from the extras through to the heroes and villains, have some sort of physical, medical or psychological impairment. And while we've seen many, many, many times that disabled people are overwhelmingly used as vehicles for developing able-bodied characters, these films imagine a world in which disabled people are fully integrated. Though there are most definitely problematic scenes in the films that will rip to shreds, (laughs) as you've all come to expect, it's overall one of the better pieces we've looked at. Yeah, surprisingly. Um, I should disclose I only watched the first and the last one because... I'm a mum. <laughs> um, no, um, but it, yeah, from what I've read in the synopses, there's similar stories anyway. And the end is like one of the characters saying, and that's how I met Max. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want my hot take and you do. Yes. The second one's the best. The third one's the worst. That's what everyone says. Yeah. Second and fourth are tied for best. Mm-hmm. I'd say the second is a hair better. No, you know what? The fourth is the best. Closely followed by the second. The first is only good for historical value. It's kind of a shitty movie. Mm-hmm. And the third is just a disaster. And is... Because in the fourth, like, the difference of the time, like, the 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 um, dystopia is very stark compared to the first one. Like, the first and fourth. Like, in the first one, like, it looks like he's chilling out at a, at a farm and bar and bay sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas in the fourth one, like, there's no trees anywhere sort of thing. There's a pretty big jump from the first to the second where, like, the first, you know, the society's collapsed but there's still, you know, Semblance. plants yeah, um, and buildings. And but shops. Yeah, the second one is, you know, Broken Hill Desert. Yeah. Um, you know... And what about the cars? Because in, like, the fourth one, like, the the big truck that they drive is, like, gigantic. Yeah. Well, the insane. second, the sec, the chase scene in the fourth one is pretty much identical. It's just, like, an amped up version of the chase in the second one. Okay. Is there a person? There's no guitar suspended man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he just took the second movie, everything that made the second movie great, and, like, turned it up to 11 sort of thing. What a guy. Hmm. All right, let's talk about lived experience. Yes. And I think we should start with George Miller himself. And I need to tell everybody that George Miller was born in my hometown of Brisbane. Wow. Wow. He went to Ipswich Grammar. Wow. He trained as a doctor in Sydney. Wow. And he worked as a doctor while he made the first movie to pay for it. He worked in ED in Melbourne. How would you feel if I squandered my first year's pay next year on making a movie? Well, he probably wasn't married at the time because his wife probably wouldn't allow that. Wouldn't she? What, didn't, <laughs> she edit, and didn't she edit it? Maybe she was girlfriend then. <laughs> Look, if you decided to make Mad Max, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a remake. I'm going to do a remake of Mad Max. In your first year of, of being a doctor. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, no, George Miller's lived experience really 
forms the backbone of the ideology of the series. But not in the way you would ex- want. Because, mm. like, what I read is that what he saw, like, the because the, it was an ED, he saw a lot of road accident injuries and they were pretty brutal. And that, that what, what he saw in, in the ED rooms is what inspired Mad Max, which isn't a story. It's just gruesome injuries and violence. Yeah, but he also said that he felt that the combination of Australia's car culture, where cars equal masculinity and... Ford versus Holden. Yeah, you know, some people really love cars in Australia. Including our son. (laughs) Yeah, um, to our shame. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The intersection of that with... um, just this, the crisis of like road tolls and deaths on our roads, he kind of felt that the way that people drove so recklessly and maimed and killed each other so much um, was kind of to him a sign of human devolution mm. kind of thing. Okay. Um, and he, part of part of the inspiration for Mad Max was kind of just taking that to, to the extreme. Mm. And, you know, uh, there is sort of a environmental type, like I Theme. think I think he's kind of saying that you know wars over oil and shit like that yeah. is is you it's know the, the 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 culmination of this obsession with cars and you know death caused by cars on mm. on a mass scale. Um, That's interesting. Um, yeah, it's kind of social critique born out of that experience. I also wanted to talk about because. Um, Mad Max is, quote, mad with PTSD mm-hmm. because of, you know, the death of his wife and child um, as well as just witnessing, you know, umpteen Horrific. deaths. And, like, his partner was also, did he end up dying? Like, in the first episode, he was very badly injured. Mad Max. Goose, yeah. Oh, Goose, yeah. No, yeah, Goose dies mm. or, yeah, is is seriously injured. Yeah, so Max has PTSD. And I found two things from George Miller's past that I thought were interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, as a child, he nearly drowned in a creek or something. Oh. Um, And he was rescued by an adult on horseback. (laughs) That sounds like something from a movie. Like a soap opera or something. And he talks about how he has this recurring nightmare of like getting sucked into quicksand or something and, a, and a, a, a rider on horseback figuring into the dream and then sort of shifting out of view. And, you know, I wondered if that was a little bit like in the in the air, in the sort of borderlands of flashback. Yeah. Like PTSD. Well, yeah, nightmares. Yeah. And he also talks about a nightmare that he he had about a patient that he saw who was severely injured in a car crash and died. Um, and he had had this horrific dream about her being really severely disfigured and um, she kept saying, die me, apparently. Mm. Um, and that sounds like a really traumatic experience, not to mention all the other trauma that he would have seen in yeah, ED. Yeah, um, And, you know, we know that first responders, police officers and that sort of thing are at really high risk of PTSD. So I would consider that there's a, a chance that he has... Mm. He certainly has trauma in his life. Yeah. Whether he has PTSD is not really for us to say. 
Um, That's good to know because when I sort of was reading about it um, and having watched the, the films I did, I just thought it was his way of maybe his way of processing the horrific stuff he's seen, but in a like, let's make this cool on film too. Like what I see, make it really realistic, which maybe there's an element of that, but it sounds like it's a little bit more less frivolous. Yeah. Um, I also note that he calls himself a feminist. So that's good. We stand. That upset a lot of men when Did it? Fury Road came out. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, was also the fact that the main actual character was a woman. <laughs> Because, um, like, really yeah, yeah, Furious totally. is the main character. Yeah. The There's all these, you know, grubby MRA sites. Um, one of the articles I read cited a, like, there's this website called like Return of Kings or something. Oh yeah, I've heard you of that one. I think I've yeah. even like looked it up late I've, at night to I be have, mad. <laughs> I have too. It's gross. Anyway, it's they didn't like Fury Road, as you can obviously expect. What? But yeah, there was a lot of backlash to Fury Road because women can't do stuff. Well, apparently I read that there's going to be more movies and one of them is called Furiosa. Yeah, I think he's doing a prequel explaining Furiosa. Good on him. Yeah, love Fuck him. Fuck all those guys. Love him. Well, on that note, let's talk about Mel Gibson to just switch it around a little bit. Do you think that Happy Feet happens in the same universe as Mad Max <laughs> and, you well, know, the Australia. ice caps melting and shit? Oh, my God, yeah. It's the prequel, prequel, prequel. <laughs> so Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. <laughs> he's an anti-Semitic. He's domestically abusive and I don't like him. Yeah, he's got a very big... Red neck. <laughs> hey, we're not an image shaming podcast, Michael. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's worse things about him than his red neck. I agree. Like Apocalypto was pretty shit. <laughs> um, no, yeah, no, fuck that guy. I did read that, like, even on IMDb, he says he has bipolar disorder. Mm. Um, apparently, that came from 2002 when he said he's manic depressive, which Quite wasn't a diagnosis then, <laughs> but all right. Um, I, sh- I don't speak like this about everyone who says that. I just don't like Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's <laughs> a bit of a joke. Like, he's, he's a soft target. Forgive us. But, you know. We're punching up. What women want. Classic. Um, <laughs> yeah. He also said he's experienced depression and suicidality, and he has a history of alcoholism, which I think is very well known. Um, so, you know, he's a shit person, but, uh, and I'm not going to go into the depths of why is a shit person. That's for you guys to Google in your own time. Um, but he obviously does have some lived experience of some mental health issues. Mm. And if he does indeed have bipolar disorder, then I wonder if he took a bit from that. It's hard to say. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a blank slate, really. I don't really like his acting. He's Never just have. he's just like a generic hero type, like with you the, know, with a pretty face, Tom Cruise or whatever. Like mm. you don't really. Or, like, uh, Bruce Willis is a bit better, but, you know, you don't go to them for acting. You just go for them as a brick. Was he ever in anything where he was man without... No. Yeah, man without a face. We've got to do man without a face. (laughs) But, yeah, he's got some lived experience. You know, tick. There's some points. There's some points. We won't go into all of the actors, but we'll talk about Tom... Like, we'll talk about Tom Hardy now. Tom Hardy sounds like he's had a bit of a troubled past. Yeah, he spoke a lot um, when he was doing press for Venom, the Marvel film, 
I didn't even know that existed. Um, we I actually know. saw a trailer for it and we were like, oh, yeah, it looks all right. And then we never saw it. <gasps> oh, There's a new one coming. Was that the last time we went to the movies, whenever that was? No, this was years ago. Oh, really? It was probably, I don't know. Um, but he was talking about Venom, uh, in which he's the main character, I think. And he said, it's like acting out mental illness in some aspects, of which I have a fair understanding, having had a certain amount of mental health problems of my own which are relevant, being an addict, so I might as well fucking use it. Whoa. Tom. Tommy. Slow down there, mate. I think I heard in that interview he had a cap on backwards and he was sitting against the hood of a car (laughs) chewing a toothpick. Smoking a cigar. Um, He also said, I'm used to being in the third person. I think I have multiple personas and the characters in me that that present and represent different parts of me that I allow to sit in the driving seat. They're all me. Is this a segue into a multiple personality disorder episode again? Oh, my God. (laughs) But, yeah, he obviously relates to that sort of stuff. And um, in his bio, he was a bit of an alcoholic and he said drug addict, crack cocaine was his thing, um, to ease what he calls the dysthymia from which he suffered. Um, And he got psychological help, which is good. And he's the lead ambassador for the Reorg Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Foundation, uh, which was launched in association with Royal Marines Charity with the mission to provide a platform for serving personnel and veterans to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as part of their recovery pathway and to combat the challenge of mental health and physical disabilities. So go, Tom. Yeah, good job, Tom. Well done, Tom. It's nice when you use your platform for something valuable. Yeah. But you can cut down on the cussing a little bit, Tom. That's oh, what I Tom, reckon. Don't like those swearies. Mm. Um, I think he's a, he's actually a pretty good actor. He's just plays like he was Bane, where he just you could have been literally anyone. <laughs> yeah, but you know, people say that, and then you just think, what's his name? Hugo Weaving in V for Vendetta had a mask on the whole time. Couldn't see a single. But you knew it was Hugo. You knew it was, he, he. That was, was an exceptional cool. performance. You know. He's very good looking, Tom Hardy. I like him. Um, we have also, we've already talked a lot about Charlize in Tully. Charlize Theron, who plays Furiosa. And just off the top of my head, we did discover she has experienced some depression in her life. But I guess her arc in Fury Road is more disability and trauma. So doesn't really count. Yeah, like she has no lived experience of... Physical, physical disability, missing a limb, yeah, type trauma. No, I did read that she liked playing the role. <laughs> well, that counts, and that there should be more roles like that out there, which is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, it's she's able-bodied. It would be nice if she was played with someone with a limb difference. Mm. Um, but this is Hollywood, and they we're not yeah don't really think outside the box that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but interestingly, like when you say that, we want to talk about Quentin Kennehan. Kennehan? Kennehan. Yes. Who had osteogenesis imperfecta. And he plays one of the sons of Immortan Joe. Yes, in Corpus Colossus. Fury Road. And so did you kind of come across him before Mad Max, before watching it? He looks familiar, but I think probably from... TV and yeah. disability activism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I even remember hearing that he was going to be in this movie. Um, so, yeah, he's a disability activist and he 
is an actor like he was in quite a few films before then um and he, he there's an interview in at the start of 2018 he unfortunately has passed away since then which is very sad um and he said the first time I was in a film I thought it was a bit of tokenism whereas the next three I thought that it was because I was an actor which is it sounds really sad but that's probably such a huge thing because you know it's as we've talked about in Hereditary and in most of the films where we feature physical disability it's so often the actors are cast for the disability not because they're an actor mm-hmm. so for him to feel that way as an advocate probably is a, is a pretty amazing thing and he said he it was significant playing um, Corpus Colossus because he knew it for many it would be the first time they saw someone with a disability so prominently represented. And he said, the good thing about Fury Road was that I auditioned three times for George. It wasn't some meeting and I got the role. He made you work for it. And that was the same for the other disabled actors cast in the film as well, um, which is really good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, That's what I was going to say. Like maybe it wouldn't have been such a stretch for George to cast somebody with a limb difference for Fury. No, if that's what he did for all these other characters, why didn't he do it? But I think they wanted the star power of Charlize Theron. Which, again, that's just Hollywood trading off economics for disability representation. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess it's, I don't know. (laughs) It's not good. It's no good. So, unfortunately, since Mad Max Fury Road, um, until he died, he didn't really... It didn't, unfortunately, open any doors for him. And he commented on this and said, well, inclusion is a slow burner, which bloody hell, (laughs) sitting in a role all about inclusion at the moment, that is true, very much true, sadly. Hmm. But it is a bit disappointing that that was his, you know, worldwide role and and that that was it. Hmm. Yeah, so Master Blaster is in the third film and, and, and Master Blaster is two people composed of Master, who's Angelo Rossito, who is a man with dwarfism, and he stands on the back of a, you know, like a burly man whose face we don't see until later on in the film who is revealed to have Down syndrome. Mm. Angelo Rossito obviously has lived experience of mm. dwarfism. Um, and also... I assume Blaster was too. Contrary to popular belief, Blaster was played by two people. Right. So Paul Larson, a plumber from Sydney... Plumber. <laughs> ...lived experience of being a plumber, uh, played masked Blaster due to his enormous physical posture. But when the reveal of his face came, Stephen Hayes was utilised for this role, who is an actor with Down syndrome. So... Oh, my God, he wasn't even credited. <gasps> wasn't he credited? That's terrible. Oh, come on, George, you can do better than that. Fuck. Yeah. Well, it, it makes me think... He was uh, mentioned at the end of the credits in the special thanks section. That's, that's bullshit. Stupid. You played a role. That's ridiculous. Yeah, okay. You just lost all your points, George. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it made... What I wanted to say, in terms of lived experience, there's a lot of characters in the films who... Uh, at the very least presented as being amputees and Mm. having various facial disfigurements and things like that. And you you can't really find any information about whether those people were just, you know, like special effects or Mm. if they were like actors who really had those disabilities or what. So, yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one. In the first movie, one of the guys has like a voice box. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, just to finish that one off, 
the guy who played Master, Angelo Rossito, was in Freaks. Oh, wow. So he definitely probably definitely probably was employed because he's happy to be a grotesque version of someone with a disability because yeah. that's that was his career. Yeah. <laughs> More on that later. So we want to talk about accuracy, mm-hmm. as we always do. I thought maybe we should do a quick blow-by-blow blow of of all the little vignettes and characters and things that kind of relate to disability in each film. That would be good because I was really confused when getting to the accuracy section because it's a dystopian world where a lot of disability happens because of that world and the environment. So how accurate it is, it's kind of like too fantastical to be able to do a really good accuracy. But there are some things we can do like PTSD. Yeah. So just take me through those points, those plot points you want to. You know, for people who don't have a spare eight hours or whatever to watch all of them. Yeah. Well, who's not in lockdown at the moment though, Michael? That's true, if I can do it. But if you've got a toddler, I get it. <laughs> um. So in the first one, the things that stood out to me, so there's May and Benno. Um, so May is a lady who kind of shelters Max and his wife. Oh, yeah. And her legs are in calipers. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. I just thought she was a badass bitch. She is a badass bitch, but <laughs> her legs her. are in calipers as well. Um, and she's, yeah, she's one of the first. She kind of sets the tone for the subsequent films as a woman in with authority. Um, yeah, like in terms of... Like, that was 1979. Yeah. And here comes May, an old lady in calipers, just, like... Fucking shit up. She, she Protecting w- Mad Max from these fucked up dudes. She would have saved them if the car yeah. worked. Yeah. So, like, yeah, she's probably like more effective than Max, really. Oh, yeah. She should have... It should have been called... It should be called Mad May. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's got... I assume her son is Benno. Oh yeah. Um, and we we don't we don't know anything about Benno, but when Max's wife runs off into the forest, or she goes for a, down to the beach, mm. um, and May warns her about Benno, like don't worry about him, he's just a little kid or something like that. Mm. And when she's running man. from the gang, she runs into him, and he's a a a big guy with sort of a facial dysmorphia and. And she gets scared by him. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, like that scene. No, I thought that was a little bit yuck. They kind of just played him for shock value. But then again, he, in the end, wasn't really the threat. No, he was just there. Yeah, really. so so those characters are just like, we have disabilities, but we're badass, we're just doing our thing, and the people you really need to worry about are the psychos. Yeah. Well, psychos is a very ableist term. Sorry, like, yeah. The, the bad guys the, who, regardless of having a disability or not, they're bad guys. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like, I don't know why he had to be the spooker because it was like a like a jump scare mm. that was like, oh, a false alarm. But mm. she ends up dying anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, they didn't need to make it a false alarm jump scare anyway. Yeah. There's also Goose. Yes. Um, who is Max's mate on the police force. And you know the guy who plays Goose is like the He's guy from everything. Water Rats. Yeah. And like, and like seeing his face, it's like, oh, wait, I'm not watching an Australian drama procedural. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a, he's a great actor. He gets injured at the very start of the first one um, and is kind of off the force because he comes off his motorbike mm-hmm. um, and hurts his leg. Um, and, you know, I read one article that was like, well, 
that's a symbol of his impotence. You know, he gets injured and now he can't do anything mm. um, for the rest of the film. And then I can't remember exactly what happens, but he gets um, actually the um, the gang, the Toe Cutters gang um, attack him on the road and he ends up in a flaming car wreck mm. um, and he gets, you know, severely burnt. Um, and uh, the last time we kind of see him is when Max visits him in hospital and he... All you can see is uh, he's lying in bed with a sheet over him and a frame because, mm. you know, they don't want the sheet to touch his burns. Um, and just his arm falls out of the bed and it's all, you know, fourth-degree burns, like charred and whatever. Max comes out, he's very upset, and he says, that thing in there isn't goose. Yeah. In, in whatever accent Mel was doing <laughs> at that particular well, time. Well, I did hear that they overdubbed him for America because they couldn't understand what he was oh. saying. Um, um, and I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that scene either. <laughs> I think you warned me about that scene. Well, it's just, you know, it's, it's you dehumanizing. Did. You warned me about a few things cause a kid dies. Yeah. <laughs> and I needed to be warned about Steph that. Steph doesn't like kids dying in films for whatever reason. I just, I don't know. It's just something about me. Surely it's just me. And the last yeah. thing that really made me want to talk about these movies was, at the very end when he's, um, he's you know, making his last kill of the gang, the guy's like, it's not my fault. I'm, I'm sick. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've got a personality disorder. Something Just like a that. Sick man. Yeah, yeah, he tries to blame his, um, you know, pretty horrific criminal activity on having a, quote, personality disorder. Like, who diagnosed that in, <laughs> in, in, in post-apocalyptic Melbourne? There must Melbourne? be a pretty long wait list in <laughs> yeah. post-apocalyptic There's no mental Melbourne. health care plans going. <laughs> There's, where's the paper? Where's the ink for the paper? Yeah. <laughs> they can't even get water. Um, no, yeah, I didn't like that either. But I feel like that was... Like, as an audience, we're like, oh, this guy's just a dick. Yeah. Um, but it also plays into a bit of a trope that people have or, you know, a prejudice that people have of people with mental illness. They're not really sick. They're just malingerers. Yes. They're just, they're just trying to scapegoat something for their own sort of inadequacies. And then if they do indeed have that personality disorder, they're more likely to be violent, which is not the case. They All might, that, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, the, the first one's a bit of an outlier because in two to four, you know, it's, the apocalypse has progressed and basically everybody has some sort of disability. It's like rather than having to do a prequel, they just started with the origin story. Like he had in his mind that he wanted to do more films. Yeah. But he wanted to start at the start, which, you know, a lot of filmmakers, George Lucas being one of them, <laughs> maybe could learn a thing or two from that. <laughs> start at the start. Because the first movie is so much different from the others. It is. If it was going to get made in this day and age, they would have just started with the second one. Remade, do you mean? No, like if they were making a, you know, if you're making a... Mad Max 1 is unnecessary. Well, I think I'm... Anyway, I haven't seen all of it. I can't really comment on that. It's necessary for the point of view that it announced Australia as a filmmaking force to be reckoned with, with its own unique <laughs> style of shooting car chases and shit like that. And, you know, it's fucking cool. I think an origin um, story gives us sympathy and empathy for the main character and makes us care about what happens. Yeah, but so. we could have assumed that he's been through some trauma because he's living in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, but why do we care about Mad Max 
particularly because everyone's living in a post-apocalyptic because the world. Camera focuses focuses on him <laughs> more than the it. others. <laughs> the movie's <laughs> called Mad Max. Anyway, in uh, Road Warrior, the second one. Yes, tell me about that. There's a couple of bits and pieces. There's Papagallo, who's the, like the leader of the good guy settlement. He has a limp. Mm-hmm. That's all. <laughs> um, there's Feral Kid, who's you know famous for throwing boomerang and killing. I had to one of the bad guys. I had to Google like what he looks like, and I think yeah. I've seen this guy. He this looks kid like before. um like Bob Irwin or something with, with um, <laughs> Ivor Davies little... haircut. <laughs> Um, Feral Kid, not a great name. Not great. And um, he's nonverbal. Um, and, you know, a lot of people sort of speculate that that's probably a PTSD type thing, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. But he... But if he's um, called Feral Kid, do they think that he was, like, raised by animals or something? Also a possibility, yeah. Um, but interestingly, we find out at the very end that he is actually the narrator of the film. I did read and that. And he escaped to the Sunshine Coast. Flounder. <laughs> <laughs> um, and becomes the leader of the New World. Um, so... <laughs> Sorry, the New World is in Flounder. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> so of course it is. That's where we go on on our holiday if we get there. Anyway. <laughs> Um, and then there's Lord Humongous, which can I just say that the, the, the names in all of these movies are alone enough for me to give, you know, at least two stars to each film. <laughs> like Lord Humongous is They a take sick it so name. seriously too. Yeah, and, but so, it's so But it's ridiculous. the only way you could. Mm. Yeah. It, yeah. Anyway, Lord Humongous is the bad guy um, in... Road Warrior, um, and George Miller came up with a backstory for him that you don't see in the movie, but we understand that he was some sort of military guy who was in some sort of explosion. And in the film there's, like, one shot. He wears a, a full metal uh, armour covering. Like so the Warden Crew does kind of thing. Yeah, but it's like a knight's mask sort of thing. Okay. It's just strapped to his face and there is a shot. You see him from behind and he's got, like, this sort of really scarred scalp with just a few little patches of hair. So mm. we know that something, we see that he's got a disability. There's some, there's some trauma that has occurred on his. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then in the third one, there's a few sort of um, characters we see. There's Tonton, who's a blind saxophonist. Mm-hmm. And George Miller liked to use. That sounds like a bit of a trope, but anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> It's a trope, but it's apparently it's uh, George Miller likes um, mythology and blindness in like you know Greek mythology mm-hmm. um, suggests that characters have other senses are heightened mm-hmm. and they have sort of mystical mm, connotations, a, which is you know a magical a big yucky trope. <laughs> magical trope, yeah, yeah. Um, and also musical ability. Um, so a bit yucky, but also just there. Not really exploited or anything necessarily, but I, I don't know. They're just there. I think that's a, a difference in this movie compared to other ones is the people with disabilities are just there. Mm. It's not a thing that they're disabled. They just are. Yeah. That's, that that's one it, of the things that people praise about mm, it. That doesn't um, mean it's automatically great. But. Yeah. Um, there's also Master Blaster who we've talked about. Um, and then there's another nonverbal child um, among the lost tribe that Max encounters in the Oasis. And interestingly, he looks like a war boy, like he's 
painted white, and oh. I don't know what that means in the in What's Mad Max name? lore. His name is Screwloose. That's not a good name. <laughs> don't like Actually, it. Yeah, you're right. Um, Could have named that one better. And Fury Road, there's Furiosa, um, who's an amputee, lost an arm at some point. We don't know why. There's literally no backstory. Nobody asks. And no one no one questions it. Yeah. That's great. Is, tick, well done. <laughs> um, there's the war boys who are exposed to engine fumes and get blood cancers and need blood transfusions, which is why Max gets hooked up as a blood blood bag. Yeah. Because um, he's, he's got... He's got healthy blood. Yeah. And um, his blood type is universal. Oh, something? yeah. He's a, yeah. He's a negative or whatever. Um, Immortan Joe, um, oh, the big daddy. Oh, and can I just say, mm. Nux is played by About a Boy Boy. Nicholas, Nicholas Holt. Holt. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Immortan Joe has a lot of scars. He's, respiratory he issues. Yeah, he's got some sort of pulmonary issue. His children are similar with they all have oxygen requirements. We talked about Corpus Callosus, who is played by somebody with osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, he's also got another son who's like a big burly dude but um, wears an oxygen tank and has nasal prongs. What's his name? Rictus Erectus. <laughs> <laughs> and people also make note in all of the movies there are mechanics mm. in each film and they all have some sort of disability. So the, in the first one the mechanic has a quite a severe stutter Mm -hmm. the second one he's paraplegic and gets around on a hoist Mm -hmm. um the third one he has a some sort of brace on his hand and in the final one they see the war boys as the mechanics and they all have all the mechanics they are disabled and they also have desirable skills they have an affinity with max they have roles rebuilding the post-apocalyptic world, mm. um, and I guess they also have that relationship with cars, cars being so essential to the movies. You know, Max is a driver by trade, family gets killed by a car, mm. um, and much of the infrastructure of the world, such as it is in the second to fourth films, is kind of made from scrap metal, presumably a lot of it from cars, mm. sort of cobbled together, like... Max's brace is made out of a fender or some, something like that. And, yeah. Um, I think um, on that note of mechanics, like I think one thing the film kind of portrays is all the different ways that the people in the Mad Max post-apocalyptic world is the different ways people kind of deal with it and accept and muddle muddle along in the world of, of their disability and their... Um, sort of future like the war boys they're they know they're all gonna die early because of um you know their blood cancer and and also just the nature of their role their role is is expendable yeah Yeah. and the way that they deal with it and whether where i don't remember where it comes from in the movie is like they they're gonna go to valhalla and Mm. you know they they live they die they live again (laughs) they're gonna mcfeast and have aquacola and all that Yeah. yeah which is like like what religion is really and it sounds silly to us but it's like that's what religion is and it's that's that's kind of their way of coping and 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 being motivated to to live but um interestingly um where people talk about immortan joe's um world 
and that he um disability is totally um incorporated into his world and the mm. war boys are given different roles based on what they can do mm. and nobody's um excluded for having a disability mm. you know top ranking people doesn't matter are very, yeah yeah quite impaired in yeah. in, in, in in some respects. Yeah, like the, their worth isn't um, determined on how able-bodied they are. Yeah. He's also evil. Oh, yeah, I don't like him. <laughs> like he breeds. But also, um, like in the movie, he still is breeding to try and create a non-disabled person. Like he wants to create a perfect child, which is why he's um, trapped the, the, the breastfeeding women and impregnating them. Like he wants, he actually doesn't want disability. Yeah. At the same time. And but interestingly, you know, he's um you know, he's a bad guy. So and he's to my mind, the only character who's trying to with any kind of eugenic agenda. Mm, yes. Um exactly. and he's a bad guy. So and presumably we can read that as being, you know, a criticism of his worldview and approach. You know? Yeah, definitely. I think but I, I wonder I wonder if, like, his inclusion in the film as the bad guy, like, the reason why he's the bad guy is he doesn't want disability and, you know, if he just let all the resources go round, disability would just be there in some way. But instead he hoards all the resources for himself and his family or crew or whatever to create the perfect human, which is bad for everybody else because they're all going to die. And it's just, you know, his own selfish gain so like you say it's like the eugenics like hoping the people who are disabled die out and so he and his perfect human can live Mm. yeah and the films the films are presumably against that yes that's why that's why he's a villain yeah so the film to me is like the social model of disability versus the medical model or the eugenics model yeah like the social (laughs) model being that the world needs to change yeah and just modify and adapt and accept this that people have different abilities yeah and the medical model being we need to fix people with disabilities yes and just make sure everyone is not disabled yeah that's an interesting take um but we're talking about accuracy (laughs) i guess i guess with accuracy let's not go through all of them because some of them are like you know i don't know how you get blood cancer from engine fumes i don't know Um, how accurate that is used Engine oil is carcinogenic. Okay. But I think it's not. Anyway, sorry. We'll, we'll just be here for hours. Also, they used to, no, get this, they used to put asbestos in brake pads. So really? being an, being a mechanic in a certain era is a risk factor for, like, um, asbestos-related cancer. Yeah. What's it called? Mesothelioma. Yeah, that one. Um, just on the note of, I guess, a general comment on particularly Fury Road. So this article I read in... Acme was talking about just interviewing someone with a with a limb difference, a congenital amputee, um, about how she saw Mad Max Fury Road, and she, the she really liked the way it portrayed someone with a limb difference being furiosa, and how it was probably a bit a, like a more accurate representation of someone with it because she says a lot of the times when they have a character with a limb difference they want to make that character only about the difference but with furiosa they made it so that someone with a limb difference can be talented proficient emotionally re- well-rounded i mean obviously she's a little intense and has her issues but everyone <laughs> does 
I feel that it's important to show that these are the characters that represent me and it sucks there aren't that many. Which is, yeah, a good sort of end quote around accuracy with disability because a, a lot of this film, it's really not about the disability, it's about the character, which is real life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in saying that disability pride is probably a more recent thing where people with disabilities are now feeling more confident to call themselves disabled people rather than people with disabilities because yes I am disabled and I'm not going to pretend it's not there it's part of me it's who I am but it's not just the only thing about me and we should talk about PTSD we should talk about PTSD um you know it's an interesting film in the sense that a lot of heroes in cinema see a lot of traumatic shit Mm. um you know nearly every hero in every movie sees somebody die and they then, like, lose a loved one. Like, look at James Bond. He doesn't have PTSD. Yeah, like, how many of his girlfriends have died? <laughs> All of them. How many people has he witnessed murdered in cold blood? But he just carries on. Not accurate. But, well, I mean, I've been thinking about this a little bit, just about how witnessing trauma or, you know, the, the trauma criteria for PTSD and DSM, having those experiences doesn't mean you have PTSD. No, like you have to have a, um, a dysfunctional response to to that trauma. But it is more likely that someone like Mad Max and like someone else in an action movie where lots of shit goes down, it is very likely yeah. <laughs> that they have PTSD, but more often than not in those movies, very, very resilient. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, basically like Max very clearly suffers PTSD. I mm. think, you know, unanimously people would to, say that he does. What do we see in the first two movies? Because I'm only really going on um, Fury Road. Yeah, so yeah, so the first movie is really about the trauma that he experiences, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the subsequent movies, um, in, uh, in either the second or third, there is some intimation of some sort of a flashback or hallucination type event. Mm-hmm. Um, we also just see, um, so there's a list quoted in one of the resources I'll put up on the on the notes. So they describe the hallmarks of PTSD as... When was this published? This is a quote from 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so like horrific or missing memories of the event, vivid dreams, flashbacks, constant reminders, distressing feelings, exaggerated blame and self-blame, social disconnect, decreased interest in activities and social interaction, reckless and aggressive behaviour, hypervigilance and sleep disturbance. Max mm. demonstrates all of these. Um, I, you know, particularly note flashbacks, um, especially in the fourth movie where, um, you know, we see filmic representations of his flashbacks and, and really importantly, quite disturbing. They are disturbing. You, you kind of see a vision of a, a little girl who's, I can't remember exactly what she says, but they're asking him, these visions are asking Max, why did you let us die? Yeah. Um, and it kind of suggests to me that there's another story that's happened oh. that's not in the films where he didn't play the good guy, you know, because he's always very reluctant to help. I was wondering about that because the flashbacks are of a little girl who's like primary school age. And in the first movie, the his child that dies is a boy who's a toddler so I'm like, why is it now a girl in the yeah. primary school age? Because the same person directed and wrote both movies. So yeah. did he just change the narrative or did something else happen? 
I suspect that Miller wants to play a little bit loose with the narrative because yes. I think it's like you know schlocky. Um, it's kind of shock. just funny how yeah, it just sort of shifts around a bit. And I also think that Max probably has. I think the timelines are fairly loose. Maybe he just wanted to be a girl to be like more feminist. Maybe, but it kind of portrays a girl as a victim. Maybe the boy grows up. He's trans. But there's also an Indigenous man who haunts him in these apparitions. Oh, and yeah, we, true. Um, we don't know where he's from. Yeah. Mm. Anyhow, the these flashbacks are both a hindrance and an aid to him. Yeah. Like at some, sometimes they're really distressing and they kind of... Throw him off course. Put it, make him vulnerable in some sort of combat situation. Mm. But other times they kind of tell him what to do and save his life. Yeah, um, like he reenacts something from the trauma and that ends up, like, saving him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other things, I guess, that we see with him is that social disconnect. Yeah, um, I was he, thinking that He too. never, ever hangs around. The, the people that he makes connections with, he helps them out and once that inter- that exchange is complete, he's off. You yeah. know, at the end of um, Fury Road, he disappears into the crowd. Yeah. He sort of gives... Furiosa a nod and then he's gone um that's very much him in a nutshell yeah and that's kind of Um, what happens like he just moves on in each movie yeah um and that hyper vigilance as well yeah um like he barely sleeps and yeah he's always on alert mode yeah and i just think like his car is rigged to explode if anybody tries to touch it and things like that and um you know while that's a cool action film kind of um uh thing <laughs> um i think it's also a nice probably unintentional metaphor for self-destruction him as a person where you know if you try and touch me I will if explode. you try and get close to me you know i'm rigged i also wondered if it was like a you know a self-harm suicidal aspect of it as well where he you know doesn't really care if he lives or dies yeah yeah i think so too yeah i agree with all of that and i feel like um in fury road he doesn't really seem to be part of his side. He's just kind of rolling with it. He becomes a blood bag and like, whatever. <laughs> he's morally very ambiguous. Yeah, and he just seems disconnected from everybody else. Mm. And then just like he helps people just kind of is forced into it almost. Yeah. Um, and he kind of visually, you know, in the, um, in the second and third films, the bad guys are these kind of somewhat queer leather daddies. <laughs> when I say somewhat, I mean like extremely, very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you know that's a bit of a trope of gay people being evil. Oh yeah, that's not queer. That's enough. That's a whole <laughs> other podcast. Um, but he's also a bit of a leather daddy. Mm. And you know, there's a lot of talk about car culture actually being quite homoerotic because. Yeah. You know, it's for men and, you know, the it's guys are trying to... up their hands. <laughs> yeah, and trying to drive their cars as fast as possible to excite the other men and... Big you car know, energy. Yeah, and all these um, chases are very kind of sexual. You know, they all lead to this climax, you know. Um, <laughs> Which is an explosion. Um, why was I talking about that? <laughs> PTSD. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but on that note, though, like you say that he kind of becomes one of them. Yes, PTSD, but also complex PTSD because his sort of identity and who it, you know values and what he does is just kind of like 
malleable. Like he he's mad, but he you know he doesn't he doesn't trust anyone. He he's got that sort of almost abandonment complex where he just can't connect. He can't hold on to anything, and he also sort of shapeshifts as well. Like he doesn't have an allegiance. He'll be a leather daddy. He'll be um, helping the war boys. You know whatever. Mm. Which is a bit of a complex trauma thing where your sense of self is, like, not Mm. very solid. Yeah. Yeah, you get the sense that he would side with the bad guys if it was somehow advantageous to him. Yeah, because, like, Um, he's just just in a survival. Yeah. Like, he's constantly hyper hyper vigilant, so his number one goal is just to survive. Yeah. Like, his fight or flight has never been turned off. Yeah, yeah. Does your hair really go white after you experience something traumatic? Well, my sisters did. What was the traumatic thing? I think she got hit in the head by something. Really? Yeah. Oh, I meant like psychological, but... I don't know. It happens in Twin Peaks. Yeah. No, it's a thing, (laughs) right? (laughs) I've never looked that up properly. Um, But, you know, it's really sad that uh, in the apocalyptic world, there's no psychologists, it seems, because, you know, I would have sat down with Mad, Mad Max and said, hey, let's help you be resilient, Max. <laughs> resilient. No, he's Max. resilient. Mad Max Five. Calm Max. Resilient Rogue. <laughs> let's talk about stereotypes. And maybe let's start with what is subverted, like which stereotypes are kind of subverted in this film without repeating ourselves too much. Yeah, I guess the crux of it is that Everybody has a disability. Yeah. Um, the world the world has changed to accommodate that fact. It's not necessarily a great world, let's be honest. Though. No. Um, but everybody, people are making do and people are very successful. Regardless of their disability or not. Yeah. And they've, they also make use of a lot of technology mm. um, to adapt. Yes. And I feel that... On that note, I was reading this very, very good article by Pop Matters and it's called Power and Disability in Mad Max Fury Road and it was just bloody good. Mm. Um, And it sort of breaks down all the sort of, you know, messages or themes. And one of them is disability is capability. It's also like it's kind of talking about like the use of their tools to function and to do what they need to do and that they are... Um, they just use them. It's it's not a thing. Like um, Furiosa uses her prosthetic as a hand and, you know, she takes it off when she needs to. She puts it on so she can drive and it's like it's just, you know, being practical and, and there's not a, a narrative of, like, you shouldn't. You should just be independent. It's it's kind of more the, the, the tool or whatever, including, like, Max's PTSD can be used in, in, a, in a way that gets them where they need to be as well. Um, and, you know, particularly for Max, like his PTSD, the fact that PTSD is sometimes useful for him, sh- like to me it's like, well, you know, the reason why PTSD exists, exists in the first place is it protects the person from experiencing the trauma too much at the time um, so they dissociate, um, you know, sort of tune it out. And then the, the dysfunction part of PTSD is the catching up and the flashbacks and the fact that you haven't processed this, this horrible thing that happened. So, you know, it's, it's a coping mechanism. So using the fact that his PTSD does help him is, is in itself like a bit of an accurate thing, but going to stereotypes, you know, Furious's arm, Max's 
PTSD, even like the war boys, bud blood bags, like it's what grants them those, those things are what grant them autonomy and interdependence rather than wanting to be completely independent and not relying upon things to assist. It's kind of the valuing of those tools. Like, you know, wheelchair users, you know, the wheelchair is what gives them freedom. So when people say things like wheelchair bound, it's like, no, I'm not bound to a wheelchair. The wheelchair is what helps me to, to experience the world. So mm. it's, it's looking at those tools as a useful thing. Um, and, you know, Furiosa will have her arm off or she'll put it on. Like, it's not a thing. <laughs> you know, she doesn't care if it's on or off. It's just there. Yeah. Um, which is how we kind of treat our bodies at times, I think. Mm. So that's sort of, I kind of went everywhere, but it's like their tools aren't, a, or their disability isn't a strength or a weakness. It's just, and this is this other thing that helps get them to where they need to be or whatever. Mm. So it's. It's not disability as a disability, if that makes sense. It's just mm. the way it is. So it's almost like in this world, disability doesn't really exist because it's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really intense, like, critical theory about, obviously, of course, disability and um, as it relates to Mad Max. Um, but um, one of the articles that I drew on a lot for this episode refers to this theorist Siebers. Um, who developed an idea called the ideology of ability, which is basically that society and culture sees able-bodiedness as a marker of what it means to be human, as in being able-bodied is human, mm. and each incremental departure from able-bodiedness is a step away from being human. Obviously, we don't agree with that, but no, that's but just that's how that's a, a theory it. about how society sees it. Um, and then you use that idea as a springboard. Well, basically, you unpack and criticise that idea mm -hmm. and essentially disprove it. And ultimately, it boils down to ability being a myth mm. because as a human, as somebody with a body, we're all at risk of disability. Yes. Um, and rather than being something that signifies a reduction in humanity, it's um, it's yeah. just normal human variation. Yeah. Um, and it should be accommodated, not eliminated. We've said that a billion times. It was nice to read that, <laughs> like sort of just read some more well stuff researched about stuff it. rather than us just looking up stuff. Yeah. And so when it comes to cinema, um, we use char disabled characters as a way to sort of strike fear in the able-bodied mm -hmm. viewer. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, so the possibility of acquiring a disability um, becomes sort of stigmatised. Yeah. Um, and in, in sort of the narrative of the, f of the film, that needs to be kind of destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, in Mad Max, there's no normal body yeah um everybody has a disability um that's the dis the, the disabled body is a normal body mm -hmm. in that world um and the only people that don't have disabled bodies would be the women like um in the fourth one yeah like yeah. the the mums the pregnant ladies and like they are the minority and they are being like they're not having a good time. Mm. No one is, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so in, in Mad Max kind of interrogates that idea um, that 
yeah, that able-bodied is is essentially human. Um, and, you know, as we've already said, people with disabilities in Mad Max are, are able to excel and mm. they're, they're not hindered by their disabilities and society accommodates every everybody. Yeah. So a lot of people talk about the series like it's very good for disability. Um, I'm not sure that that's necessarily correct. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's one take. Yeah. But I also think if you're George Miller, you're sitting down to write a movie about the post-apocalyptic world and you're trying to build that world in a, in a visual way, mm. you'd be like, okay, half of the people are missing limbs and half of the people have, you know, cancer from radiation. And to me, part of it, I think, is just set decoration. Like, these characters would need to have disabilities. Yeah. Just based on the world that they live in. Yeah. Um, so it's not really humanising. It's just... I don't think it was the intent. Yeah. Well, reading early on about him creating this movie, he didn't even intend for it to be post-apocalyptic initially. It's just he couldn't afford sets. So it right. all had to be filmed <laughs> in the desert. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he couldn't afford to put money into, like, you know, filming in particular locations inside, indoors and, and and being on, a like, a soundstage or whatever. So that's that's how he filmed it. So it made, it sort of worked out that it was post-apocalyptic. And then maybe that, you know, kick-started the whole narrative. But, you know, that wasn't his original intent. Mm. So I don't think his original intent would have been disability related at all yeah doesn't mean it's not good that it has turned that way because maybe he's learnt and gotten more involved as an you know as a doctor as well in wanting to to subvert some of those narratives around disability but yeah he doesn't get points as much as he should and i also think when it comes to like critically analyzing a film you you kind of take the text as it is and this is what's come out of it. And, you know, we can look at it from a disability perspective, irrespective of whether George Miller yeah. like, put that oh. in there. We do that with most films, yeah. <laughs> regardless of their intent. And it still yields good shit. It does. I do also like that the disabilities aren't always explained, like you mm. said. Like, you know, we don't... Yeah, obviously the first movie we do hear Mad Max's story... But like you said, the story changes. Yeah, exactly. So it's not the most important thing. Yeah. Um, But, you know, the reason why, (laughs) apart from what we know about the world, each people are are disabled, we don't hear the backstories of because it's not the most important plot point. So that's kind of the good stuff. That's the good stuff. That's how he subverts our expectations. However... (laughs) There are some things about it that are still not great tropes. Mm. One thing that didn't sit right with me was the Master Blaster storyline. Yeah, let's talk a bit about that. The whole thing is a bit icky. Um, And, like, I think Master Blaster as a character is kind of played for laughs. So Tina Turner... a weird-looking... Well, creature, character. and he also has an unusual Yoda-esque way of speaking. Yeah, so in Thunderdome there's Barter Town, which is like the above-ground settlement 
run by Auntie Entity, who I'm just going to call Tina Turner because I think it's kind of funny. And then Underground is like this sort of subterranean factory that generates power for Barter Town, and that's run by Master Blaster. Um, and when Master Blaster wants something, um, well, Master, who's sort of the brains of the operation, Master, the top. yeah, the um, the person with dwarfism on top of the the big guy, Blaster. Master just shuts down the power to Barter Town, um, effectively forcing Auntie Entity to give him whatever he wants. And there's just like a scene where he um, he he does an embargo, like when they're down down in the factory. You know, they just yell out embargo, embargo, and then all the power turns off in Barter Town. And Tina Turner has this little microphone to talk to Master downstairs and she's like, Master, I thought we said no more embargoes. Master is like, who run Barter Town? <laughs> <laughs> and he makes Tina Turner say on the, like, PA to the enti- entirety of Barter Town that Master runs Barter Town. And it's, it's, it's played for laughs. It sounds terrible. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so there's, like, a bit of that, like, yucky, othering, yeah. jokey stuff. Like, we have to appease this ridiculous person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, it kind of plays into a few characters throughout the movies who, uh, I guess, have a physical impairment, but they're cognitively very high-functioning and they run massive operations. The, mm-hmm. the other one would be... Um, Corpus Colossus, yeah, um, in the fourth one, who is like he runs the um, the Oasis town, whatever yeah. it is, um, despite being physically impaired. The thing that really bugged me, and I'd like to unpack it with you because I can't fully mm. explain why I think it's wrong. It's just a gut reaction. Yeah, Max has to have a fight with Mar- with Blaster, the big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, who Master sits on top of. Yes. Um, and I think the idea is that Tina Turner is trying to kill the muscle so that she can control Master. So Max challenges Blaster to a fight in Thunderdome. He's just about to kill Blaster. He, he takes off his mask and we see suddenly he's a man with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it's really yucky the way they do this. Like his head is just like poking out from the suit and he uh-huh. and he's just like smiling like sort of neglecting the fact that they've just been fighting in a cage on elastic ropes and he's like a pretty like half strong an hour. fighter right yeah, yeah yeah and he's just like smiling up at him it's just a bit like just doesn't G'day. really fit yeah and <laughs> i want to kill you hey. and max max decides that he can't kill blaster because he's got down syndrome and yeah. auntie entity kills him Max says in Thunderdome this wasn't part of the deal, mm-hmm. as in you didn't tell me he had Down syndrome, I can't kill him now. Yeah. Um, and Master, I think, is just talking to Blaster like down in the, you know, in the mm-hmm. underground, um, telling him he has the mind of a child. So, yeah, that didn't sit right with you. It didn't sit right with me. It kind of felt like if everybody's got a disability then anybody should have been killed in that situation. <laughs> you know, like if, if, you know, it's it's a dog-eat-dog 
everyone for themselves world. Yeah. You've been put into the Thunderdome. He's been coming at you with axes and shit. It's kill or be killed. Yeah, so kill him. <laughs> Is that wrong? That's that's well, part you know, of what I think doesn't sit right with me. And I think the fact that both of us, we're pacifists, we don't want anyone to die. No, no. <laughs> He's not treating um, Blaster on the same basis as everybody else because he has an intellectual disability. Yeah. And he's assuming that... Oh, and probably because he's smiling. But maybe he's just really evil too. Like, he's assuming that he doesn't know any better, which is what people, like, in Forrest Gump, she says that. You mm. know, he's assuming he's got the mind of a child and doesn't understand. And he's assuming that he doesn't have any agency or, or um, will. And he's completely controlled and doesn't care. Like, and th- therefore doesn't understand mm. his part in it all. Um which is a really not a not a good a respectful assumption to make, and um, it just it does it denigrates a person with disability with cognitive disability and assumes a lot. You know, you wouldn't kill a child. So I get where Max is coming from. He doesn't want to kill the child, but he he's like dehumanizing him. Yeah, in a way, or de-adultifying him. Like, and I think that's a, a big aspect of like some of the DID stuff I've been reading and is like just because you have a disability or mental illness if you've done something really bad that doesn't like mean that you you don't deserve consequences for that behavior yeah for sure that makes sense yeah it's on the same basis it's not like everyone needs to be treated exactly the same way but they need to be treated with the same the same rules should apply right the same rules within context should apply yeah and with adjustments made <laughs> yeah and I'd, I'd say you know it's it's just I, I feel icky too like I don't know what the answer would have been yeah but it's important to note that he gets killed anyway right he does die anyway yeah because he's still an expendable disabled person according to the film the other thing that I think is problematic about it is that it sets up a differential or it, it differentiates a cognitive impairment from a physical impairment. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, you know, after the apocalypse, everybody's got a disability, a physical impairment, and they're all fine. But cognitive stuff, whoa, whoa like whoa. that's 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 a whole. Well, baby, get away from that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I'm not going to do that, mate. No, no. Which that's too far? Yeah. <laughs> which is obviously problematic. Yeah. And 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 kind and given of, like the radiation and you know the the trauma and the, the malnutrition, cognitive disability in Mad Wax World would be quite common. Yeah. And and I guess to some extent, um, I was thinking about um, Tom Hardy's Mad Max. I, I feel like there's something cognitive going on with him. Like he's got that real, just the way he communicates. Mm. He's, ve- he's very taciturn and mm. quite a lot of, um, uh, you know, long delays before he answers mm. questions and things like that. Makes you wonder. Anyway, that's sort of an aside. But I think it's a good point because I was reading also that I don't know where this came from, but um, George Miller was saying that he, can't, he intentionally made Max with not much dialogue because he wanted the story to kind of explain, like, play out without you necessarily knowing what the characters were saying. Honestly, when I did hear the dialogue, I didn't always understand what was going on anyway, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, he was kind of like 
you know, if you couldn't hear the dialogue, you'd still know what was going on, which is quite an accessible way of making a film. That sounds like he's trying to make an excuse for how incomprehensible the first one is. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, you know, people don't say much in most, well, the two that I've seen. And what they do say, I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, and in terms of the narrative... Max's decision to spare Blaster is kind of read as some sort of redemption moment. Um, And I guess when we think about him being kind of morally ambiguous in the first and second movie, he does always do the right Mm. heroic thing. Mm. But at this moment, he's tied up with Auntie Entity we think is evil. Mm. Um, even though she's sort of a bit, she's also a bit ambiguous. Um, she's willing to make deals, but she's evil. Yeah. And well, her whole thing is I just survive. You know, she just exploits her opportunities as they come, regardless of the morality. And Max is kind of getting swept up in that. Mm. And then this is the moment where he's like, oh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do the hero thing now. And I don't know. Yeah. I guess again, what do you what do you think? Like is that is that right? Was it heroic for him to not kill Blaster on the basis of having Down syndrome? Well, I mean I could see what, what it would look like if he did kill him. You know, I I we might be sitting doing this podcast going, that's atrocious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel that it sort of you know, it's not great because it it reinforces the stereotype that people with cognitive disabilities are innocent, not capable of picking a side or being immoral or doing wrong things. They're just, you know, angelic, innocent people that, you know, deserve to be coddled when, you know, they are capable of Mm. all of those things. Mm. And how smart you are doesn't equal how evil or not evil you are. Mm. When I say smart, I mean cognitively impaired or not. Yeah. Um, And then it's it's just not nuanced. No. Maybe they just shouldn't have had that as a plot point and then we would have been happy. Oh, (laughs) Yes. The third one is just like it just doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> it's, there's like five different stories and they chased each one and it's like well, you should have just got rid of four of them. And in terms of morality, like at the very end, like I, I think that scene because Auntie Entity just shoots like crossbows, blaster, dead. Um, yeah, and I think care. that's meant to be the <laughs> scene where we're like, okay, Auntie Entity bad, Mad Max good. Oh, um, so that's how we're just supposed to differentiate. I, th- I think that's the point of the mm. scene. Um, and then at the very end, um, after the big chase and all that, the very last scene is um, like Auntie Entity and Mad Max together in the desert and it's essentially she's just like, you know what, you're all right. <laughs> and it's like, what are we meant to think about these people? <laughs> but I, f- I feel like that's the narrative of like, you know, good and evil, people are just trying to survive. Yeah, we don't need another hero. We just need Tina Turner. Oof. Other negative stereotypes. I do think that there is still a problem in this film of disability equals evil because probably the more physically obvious people with disabilities end up being the bad guys. Like, the, mo- the most visibly disabled m- yeah. people are more the in Fury worst Road. villains. Yeah, more in no, Fury Road and the second one. I, not so much in the first one. Yeah. Um, not at all in the first one. All the 
all the good guys, all the good have, guys disabilities. have disabilities really yeah um but yeah in fury road like you know the loss of a limb and you know ptsd is a little bit more hidden and max you're talking about furiosa and max yeah, that, yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah and then max's legs like he can still walk you yeah. know it, and at the start of the fourth the one i think he rips the brace off right but you know modern joe is quite you know he's got the really quite grotesque mask mm-hmm. um his kids are quite more physically disabled and you know the war boys who seems are on Immortan Joe's side, like mm. they're his, his guys. They're all extremely <laughs> um, different looking from everyone else, mm. and you know they have that sort of frantic, crazed look in their eyes with the, uh, the chrome thing, and I don't know, they're mm. just a bit odd. Um, and that's the way they're supposed to be played. And it's like the more disabled especially in Fury Road, seems like to be the more ba- on the bad side. Yeah. It seems yeah. to be a bit of a continuum. It could also be a metaphor for the more disabled, the more powerful, <laughs> but that's not necessarily – that yeah. doesn't sit right with me either. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the, 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 the wretched, the lowliest members of the Citadel, they, you know, they've got lots of disabilities and disfigurements and tumours and missing limbs as well, but they're sort of less featured. I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And, you know, I think that somebody trying to defend the films would cite The Wretched mm. um, because, yeah, they are very they have very um, visible impairments. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, when it comes to the actual main characters, when you talk about, like, the four or five main goodies and main baddies, the goodies are less disabled than yeah. the baddies. You know, Charlie's still able to look somewhat attractive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Conventionally. Yeah, you're right. I think that's a problem. And, you know, I was thinking, like, Lord Humongous in the second one is is probably the most visibly impaired of, of everybody in that film. Um, but there's probably... Like, among the bad guys, he's probably the only one with a really obvious disability. And among the good guys, most of them have something visibly. Yeah. You know, there's limps and um, non-verbal characters and all that sort of thing. So, Mm. um, and there's actually quite a major plot point in the second one is, you know, Max wants to leave and he's like, oh, you know, I don't want to have any connections and blah, blah, blah his subtext and the leader of the good guys is like oh what you think you're the only one who's got trauma Mm. you know like what happened to you oh let me guess you lost some family well we've we've all been there buddy (laughs) is that what he says something like that (laughs) (laughs) um so everyone's traumatized physically mentally or both how could you not be it's like covid right now go out and protest but yeah no so i agree with you the fourth movie is a harmful stereotype Mm. in that way can we finish this section on this quote which i think kind of covers it for me it's an article from a website called womenwriteaboutcomics.com right up my alley um and it says 
The crowds of the wretched that push their way to water are shown as dirty but also diseased. Facial deformities and tumours cover them as well. Disability is a way of living, and that is another way Fury Road tries to have it both ways. There is no recoil from the physically perfect wives at the end when the Citadel civilians push their way forward, desperate to touch and be with their new saviours. The imperfect body is accepted all throughout the film, but the emphasis on sickness as a way to show how Immortan Joe's rule was literally poison to his people again, makes disability shorthand for consequences of evil deeds. So we are meant to pity their plight, but also see how deformity is part of the aesthetic of corruption. So, you know, it's trying to say that it's still saying that poison equals disability. Yeah. So, you know, we can praise it, but we can also critique it for that. Um, and and it's, it kind of, it's still, even though everybody has a disability, it's still positing disability as bad. Yeah. Even if them, because it's even been, if society, it's a result of bad things happening yeah, in society. Yeah, yeah, it's and if it's seen as a cautionary tale, like we got to stop digging up fossil fuels and stuff, or else we're all going to get disabilities. Like, which I don't think was his intent. No, well, but, I don't think any of what we're talking about is intent. <laughs> I I can totally just imagine yeah, him imagine. reading these articles, being like, "Oh, check! I just want to make a cool car crash movie, and then I want to make Happy Feet." <laughs> yeah, um, you probably imagine making a movie. Like, imagine me making a TikTok and then seeing someone's written a book about it. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But no, I like that quote. I think that sums it up quite nicely. Yeah, I really yeah. liked it. And 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 leading on to this segment on helpful slash harmful, mm-hmm. I think like that quote kind of says, it's, it's both. A bit of both. Yeah. A little column A and a little common B. Mm. Column B. It's good for feminism and disability, like what that um, article said. You know, when do we see a strong disabled the sort of, you know, fantastical character who is queer. a woman. Is she queer? Coded. Queer coded. I thought her and... You thought she and Max were going to do the do? Gonna... Nah. But, you know, it is great to see, you know, if if you had a lived limb di- difference and most of our lives the, uh, the limb dif- the characters with limb differences were like Captain Hawk, mm. you know, evil villains, to see... A character of a really strong female lead is a badass bitch as a you know as an amputee would be so empowering like you know if I was that person I would be like fuck yeah Mm. that is one helpful thing about it also the message of a prosthesis being not something to be ashamed of Mm. for it being of benefit and just you know what you do is I think I, I like that part of it as well. Mm. And I know that you were reading a lot about, um, and, and I don't know the exact academic wording of this, but the way that the war rig kind of becomes an extension of Furiosa mm-hmm. and she's sort of so integrated with her assistive technology yeah, that she, like, far exceeds the capacities of an able-bodied person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Max to an extent too because, you know, he's pretty um, entwined with his car. Yes, that's true too. And, his and car becomes vehicles. an extension of him as well. Yeah. Extension um, of the Duke. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another podcast. Phallic. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like you use – it's like the – 
the, the tool that makes you makes things more accessible for you has lots gives you lots of power yeah and it, it challenges that idea that it doesn't yes it challenges the idea that when you see somebody in in a in a wheelchair that they're less than human yeah it makes, that they it, are lesser it, than it, you it, yeah it, yeah it, that it, they have less value or yeah it, less um, power it shows sort of the possibility of superhuman abilities as but a that's a bad of, trope yeah sorry that that was a bad choice of words but no no but i think we should talk about that because it does border on that like disability equals super superhuman and Mm. therefore superpowers as well yeah i I think that it's helpful because it envisions a world where disability is incorporated and doesn't stop people and in many ways helps people yeah and I guess it's unfortunate that the narrative of that world is that it's in the environment being destroyed that causes that disability Mm. that is just accepted and part of the norm. But I think other films could take from it and make their films a bit more like that. Like, you know, these people have disabilities and it's not a part of their personality. It's just this is the world that we live in. Um, and, you know, I feel like movies and, you know, very, very every now and then it happens, but it's usually pretty rare mm. where there's a character that just has a disability and it's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah, this is the the rare case of a movie that is arguably about disability, but it's not about an able-bodied person. Navigating that world of you, disability. Using somebody with yeah. a disability to become a better Yeah, it's person. not teaching them something about yeah, themselves. Yeah, it, it breaks that it's the same film yeah. mould yeah, that exactly. we've spoken about quite a bit. Can I just say a few things that I don't think are helpful? Yeah, you can. Um, <laughs> one thing, I mean, we've already talked about it, like, you know, particularly, you know, it probably wasn't the most inclusive film early on. Um, I feel like there's more portrayals of disability in Fury Road and as it goes on. Um, But also, um, you know, we've talked about some of the bad messages. But there's just one last thing I want to mention. Yeah. Go Um, go ahead. It's a safe space. in In the first movie, there's a character who uses sign language, but they did not use real sign language. Oh, really? There were just some movements that the actor made up. I don't like that. Maybe it's, it would it would have taken them not yeah. that long to learn a little bit of sign language. Yeah, that's true. I don't actually remember that. Um, maybe you know it's maybe it's not the first movie. The resources are all gone. Oh, yeah, nah, I'm making excuses. <laughs> it's a, um, it's a universal language. Yeah. Any other comments? Oh, I just want to ma- just want to make la- one last point before we get to our final scores. The most Australian fact that I learnt about this movie is that most of the extras in the first film were paid in beer. <laughs> like and a I carton. I can tell you now. Uh, um, like <laughs> Day second on the screen in the end. I can tell you it wouldn't have been very good beer. Yeah, it would have been VB. It would have been VB. Mm. Not Bush City Limits. <laughs> Final scores. Lived experience. I'm I'm happy to give. Mm, let's give it a half a point. Mel Gibson, sad boy. Sorry. You know what? He discovered Mel Gibson. Yeah. 
Which means he should be shot. Tom Hardy <laughs> sounds like he's had some struggles. We know yeah. Charlize has had some struggles. Yeah, but not... But not in the order of... You know, you know and, you know, you did employ people with, with actual disabilities, but not the main characters, which is the disappointing part. Yeah. Um, accuracy, I, I don't... There's so much we can't really talk about it. I think PTSD scores some points. I definitely do. And I feel like just, you know... The inaccuracies of movies with disabilities in them are usually so rife. I feel like I would just want to give him full points just because he doesn't go down some of those tracks. Yeah. And also just, you know, having an action movie hero who has PTSD. It's more accurate. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's like, yeah. Stereotypes. Stereotypes. Uh, half points. Half points. Like, yeah. you know, mostly good, good, but not full points. And then... Um, Helpful or harmful? I think most people, <laughs> I, um, when they say they love Mad Max, if they do, they're not thinking about it from a disability or mental illness perspective. Yeah. So I don't think we could say it's been helpful for the disability community, apart from giving more actors with disabilities roles. Yeah. Which he hopefully will continue to do in future films. What I think, yeah, I, I think you're right. Because, you know, when I thought about doing this for the podcast, I thought that, like... You know, I was the first one who thought about disability in these movies, and then like obviously it wasn't. So, um, I think that the message that George Miller was going for was really just like um, the 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 power of the human spirit in the face of adversity, and, and as opposed to doing what you a can, disability message. Yeah, and doing what whatever you do with the resources you have to make it. And like he was saying, how. In, a, in an apocalyptic world, particularly in Australia, people will just have their cars because mm. that's the things that will survive and that's that's what will have value to them. So he wasn't even thinking about humans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe because he's a man of science, he's thinking, like, this is the future, guys. Mm. But Which is not yeah, an it's, unhelpful thing. It's dicey. I, I, I wouldn't say it's harmful, though, but I wouldn't necessarily... I don't think it's helpful, necessarily. You know, no, you know what, fuck you. I'm going to call it uh, helpful. Okay. Yeah, I do think it's, it's probably more helpful than helpful. Big exposure. More in terms of the exposure side of things. Yeah. In terms of disability films, I think it's gotten the most points so far. It's Yeah, I think it's our highest rating film, ironically. Not Which ironically, is, but surprisingly. What is it, what is it received to? I don't know. Do we really nah. tell these things? <laughs> One day I'll like post a list of all the the scores we've had, and it'll be like question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> yeah. Point yeah. three. Eleven um, bags of popcorn. Fifty DSMs. <laughs> I'm glad we talked about Mad Max. I was excited about that, which was surprising to me. It's made me a really big Mad Max fan. Like I'm just, I just enjoy the world. Yeah. I just find it really it's cool. A pretty bleak world though. Like, but it's it's not it's no like water. it's comical. Yeah, there are there are some bits in Fury Road that is quite funny actually. Fury Road is a is a hilarious film. You know, what the first I find... time you see the guitarist, it's just like this is so good. I need to say one thing though. In the first movie, the amount of times I said "Where is the baby?" <laughs> was yeah. too many. Yeah, they. <laughs> when when the mum is like terrified in the woods and she comes back to the you know the farm and like why didn't she go immediately to where the baby was because in the next like 10 minutes later she's like oh where's the baby it's yeah. like oh my god 
yeah. or so baby. He obviously didn't have kids when he made this film. I don't know if he does now, <laughs> he but yeah, I had the same thoughts. <laughs> and just and like just, the like, kid just in the back of the van, yeah, and or then, just sitting in her lap while she's driving, yeah. And she's like, "Oh, he's convinced me to buy him an ice cream," and he's like, "A year old." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't think that's how it works. Yeah. Anyway, Moby's really advanced. Sprog. Sprog. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me, Michael. Yeah, no, thanks for having me again. I know I'm Good no, suggestion. I know, I know I'm no Maz, but um, you know, we've got to work with what you've got, and um, yeah, I've got to for work me, with that's just got. no charisma. Just, just to end this episode, I need to let you know, everybody, that Michael's growing a, a magnificent beard. <laughs> it's looking really good. I'm doing. I did, last year, I grew my hair really long, and then, and then, thankfully, cut it off, and now I'm growing my beard, and eventually. Uh, We'll cut, I'll cut that off too and everyone will feel better. <laughs> Thanks we for need another hair okay, experiment. Sing me out, okay? Keep singing that <laughs> while I I end the show. <laughs> um, remember to Patreon up. Patreon up, for everyone. For Sane. For Sane. And also there is a link to a donation page if you want to give a little more. But yeah. still do a Patreon up because you, gotta... you get stuff out of it. And saying gets money. Our episode about music was real good. Yeah. And also, and also like our playlist episode. A playlist episode. We talk about music. Rubber Johnny episode. Yeah. Um, there'll be more to come. There's so much exclusive content. Exclusive content. Have a good night. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Stay be, safe, WDMAC. Be kind to everybody. Rest in peace, Gladys Berejiklian. <laughs>